Father, I'm thankful today that you are indeed with us, for us, within us. Lord, that the grace that you give us is at the same time unimaginable and yet available. Lord, that you call us to a life that strives for holiness and yet provides us relief when we don't quite measure up. Lord, that you offer us the opportunity to approach you and to know you. the fullness of who you are, even in the midst of our own failings. There's no greater measure of your goodness in that you, you welcome us, even as we're broken. Lord, thank you. We praise you. We celebrate you. Lord, may we desire to be all that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I think we have Kids World today, yeah? Yes. Awesome. All right, so the kids can take off if they'd like. If you want to go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 10, and find our text there today. And our key verse today is Romans chapter 10, verse 11. And Jesus is actually quoting uh, from the Old Testament. in this verse, when he says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And our theme today is uh, no more shame. And I want to draw some distinctions with you between shame and guilt and the payoff of repentance and the benefit of forgiveness. And the way that I want to uh, sort of cast that is that in the, in the context of today's society, we've come to a place where, um, you know, there used to be a phrase that people would say to someone, they say, have you no shame? And they were saying that in response to you, you, you might do or someone else might do something so outrageous, so... Um, against social norms or against the circumstance that you're in, or perhaps you do something that you know is going to be offensive to someone who's right in front of you, 
And some would ask, you know, have you no shame? And the word shame comes from the, the idea of to conceal, to, to hide, to, to put aside. And I think there's a function of shame that shouldn't be disregarded, but we've come to a place where we live kind of in a society today where nobody feels any shame about anything. And it then gets cast as this idea that I'm being self-determined, I'm being uh, who I was made to be, I'm being who I want to be, I'm being who I was created to be, or I'm being who I think I ought to be, or I'm being what society tells me I ought to be, or I'm being what the group that I'm involved with tells me I ought to be, and therefore, if I'm not ashamed of it, you should never have a problem with anything that I'm doing. And that's utter nonsense. There is a prescription in the Word that we find all throughout the Bible that calls us to live lives that are holy if we are indeed apprentices of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the easiest place that you can find in Scripture to sort of determine what some of those things look like, uh, if, if it wouldn't bore people to death, Jason and I have talked numerous times that we would just preach the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over and over because they are so filled with golden words of Jesus Christ. And almost all of it reflects how he intends for us to live in the world as representatives of the kingdom of God. And uh, I thought it was, brother. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I only say that. I remember we used to have this evangelist that would come, and man, he'd get fired up at uh, the church that we uh, grew up at. And there was this guy in our congregation. That was his, that was his catchphrase was, preach it, brother. And after about the 10th time in this one sermon, the, the guy preaching said, man, I thought I was, you know. <laughs> so it just made me think of that. It was a good memory. I love that. But right? Um, but there's a difference between shame and guilt. Um, there's a great book out there called Shame Interrupted. Somebody gave me a copy of that. I think it was Michelle Collins, but I'm not sure. Um, and here's the difference that I think is, is true, and I want to distinguish, and then I want us to pick at this a little bit. The message of guilt is I did something bad. I did something wrong. And that's another thing. And, and here's my concern about this, this acceptance of, uh, of that there's no shame in basically anything is what that's translated now into is there's no guilt about anything any, either. And the Bible tells us without question that all of us are guilty of sin. And guilt comes with a price. Sin comes with a price. I mean, in, in, in earthly terms, if we're guilty of a crime, we're in danger of being, of being taken to the court and given a sentence, right? Some sort, of, some sort of payment for that, either monetarily or in the eyes of society. There's some payment to be made for guilt. And so guilt is this thing that tells us we've done something bad. What shame tells us is that we're bad. And that is not a healthy biblical worldview of who you are. Because if it were, we wouldn't be uh, in, in the position of, of God saying things, as I think I mentioned last week, the, the passage that says that, that God showed his great love toward us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, well, who, in fact, Jesus asks this question. He says, who dies for an unrighteous person? 
Almost nobody would offer themselves up to die for a righteous person. So, so who's crazy enough to, to give themselves up to die for an unrighteous person? And it's a rhetorical question because he's, he is. We sing that song about God's reckless love, and there are people out there that shoot at that song all the time. God's love isn't reckless. He's, he's God. He knows everything. He's not reckless. Right? <laughs> I know. I've been into voices lately. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, there was a good one. Um, but that's the theme of that song is God extends this unimaginable, unfathomable love towards us in his grace. And in one, if you look at it from one perspective, it's reckless because there's no guarantee that anybody's ever going to take it up and say, you know, I want that from you, God. I mean, when God expressed his love to humanity in all of the ways that he did, there was the possibility that every single living, walking, breathing person would go, oh, I'm not interested. And yet he offered it anyway. Jesus offered himself. There's another passage. Um, we should be of the same mind as like Christ, who, though he was God, did not consider it a crazy idea. I'm paraphrasing now. A crazy idea to come as a human being on the earth and walk among us and offer himself as a sacrifice of love for us. So this idea of shame that says you're bad is not a solid biblical concept. And so there's a level of shame about things that we do that maybe is kind of okay because we go, oh, I shouldn't do that. Or I shouldn't think that. Or, I shouldn't say that. But if you're living there, if you're living in shame, that actually leads you to another place of sin because now you're considering yourself as someone who's bad and God does not consider you as someone who's bad. He considers you of great value. In fact, he calls you the pearl of great price. And that actually puts you then in opposition to God. And what is opposition to God? It's sin. And so there's this passage here. I'm going to expand this passage a little bit in Romans chapter 10. I'm going to, I'm going to skip back to verse 9 and go all the way through verse 13. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Sometimes people are like, well, how do, we, how do we get saved? It was right there. How do I become a born-again Christian? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Why is it important to confess with your mouth? Because you can, you can think things in your head and sort of toy things around in your heart all day long, but until you put it out there in public and actually live it in front of other people, is it real? Uh, I, I, would, I would argue with you that it isn't. If we go to places where uh, Christianity is deeply oppressed, you'll find that those people still find a way to confess their faith in Christ. And if we go back to the stories of the martyrs, all of those who've been martyred both historically and who are being martyred today, literally around the world for the cause of Christ, they're being martyred because they refuse to give a confession other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not enough to just, in your you know, tiny part of your heart, go, uh, I'm, I, I'm a Christian. But I don't want anyone to know. The Bible seems to indicate that that's some sort of a false confession. It's kind of the same thing as works. We talk about works. We can't work to get our salvation, but if you show me somebody who says they're a believer and they don't do any of the works of the kingdom, I got to go, I don't know, man. And it's not because one gets you the other. 
It's not because the confession gets you the salvation. It's because the salvation compels you to confess. Like, this is radical change, man. This is, this is something I wasn't expecting. This is different. I remember one time I was uh, working with a young man. It was, I was actually, ooh, here we go. Um, I was doing an exorcism. <laughs> you didn't know that about me, did you? Some of you did. I was doing an exorcism. It, was, uh, it wasn't planned. Uh, it just happened. Uh, we were sitting in the office at the church I was pastoring at the time, and this man had walked in off the street and, and said, uh, he walked into the office, said to the, the secretary there, he said, I worship the devil, I need help. And they said, I know just the guy. And they called upstairs and called me down because I was, God had me in this world for a little while. And his name was David. And, and, and we talked and then we prayed and then he confessed uh, Jesus and it was uh, bizarre. Uh, maybe I'll tell that whole story uh, someday along with a couple of others. But it was bizarre. And he prayed and he finally, it was a struggle, it was a battle, and he finally said um, these, these words. He said the name of Jesus in his confession before me. And, and his bondage was broken like that. I mean, it was miraculous. Bang, like that. And no kidding, he got up, he was, his countenance was different, his face was different, it was a radical change. He looked right at me and he said, I got to call my uncle and tell him I just got saved. Because his uncle had been witnessing to him and had raised him and, and had tried to get him to follow Christ. And it was just this compulsion that came out of him. Like It was the instant thought that he had was, I got to tell somebody. That's, that's conversion. That's confession. It's not that the confession gets you the salvation. It's that the salvation that comes within you is, wow, I can't contain this. So you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We talk about this, we'll talk about this in a few weeks at uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. We'll talk about the importance of the resurrection, that without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Uh, we have a, if we take, if we just remove the resurrection from the story of Christ, if he's not really alive still, if he was not raised from the dead, if he didn't conquer the ultimate equalizer that all of us will face, then we have a very poignant, very sad uh, very moving story of a good man who sacrificed for many and did lots of great things. But at the end of the day, he's just another guy. But this one thing, this resurrection, believing that he truly was raised from the dead because he conquered the ultimate foe of all humanity, this is his proof that he's everything and everyone that he said that he was. And so this is what it says. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I looked at a lot of different verses about shame as I was preparing for today. And I, I really think the context of this in verse 11 is the promise that at the, end of the, at the end of days, when we stand before the Lord, those who are believers, those who have followed Christ, those who have received his forgiveness will not be put to public shame in front of everyone else. 
because what God will reveal is not you. He will reveal Christ in you. But what that leaves us with is that it's possible on this earth to feel shame. It's possible on this earth and in this life to do things and to say things and to think things that cause us then to think that we're bad, that we aren't valued, that we, that you, aren't worth anything. And that's not a biblical model. Sin often leaves both guilt and shame in its wake. But God offers us forgiveness. He offers us a remedy. In fact, we can look in uh, uh, Romans chapter 8. I'm not, I'm not going to have Jason flip over there because I didn't give him this. But in, in Romans chapter 8, it says, um, For there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we seek him for forgiveness, we can release that burden of guilt. And often that seems to be easier to, to, to accept that forgiveness. It's the shame part that's hard to get rid of because it just, you know, the enemy loves to use that and circle it back around. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, if you can get your, he calls him your patient. He's talking, if you're not familiar with the Screwtape Letters, Screwtape is the, the name of a little demon. He's been assigned to harass this guy and to try and keep him away from the truth of the gospel. And it's this correspondence between Screwtape, the little demon, and his overseer about how the progress is going. What is he doing? What's he trying? But the determination is finally made. Some of the most effective things that Screwtape can do to keep this guy from, from doing anything effective and, and to risk him becoming a follower of Christ is to keep reminding him of all the things that he's messed up. Just keep bringing those back around. And that produces shame. Because the forgiveness has already been granted, right? And so it really takes a mind shift, a personality shift to walk away from this, this cycle of shame. And it's, it's gotten mixed up in our society now with It's, it's a good idea to not be filled with shame, but then that's led us to a place of also then it's a, I don't really have to f care about anything I do. And, it, and it's kind of hard to wrap our heads around. It's, it's muddled now. But I want you to really hear that thing that I think is the truth. The guilt sometimes that we feel because we've done something wrong, we've said something wrong, even sometimes we've thought something wrong and we want to deal with that in our own internal dialogue the guilt that we feel of that is a proper response to those things, and we can, we can bring those to the Father and say, help me with this. The problem is sometimes the shame of things that we've done, done lingers on afterwards if we continue to entertain it. Um, sometimes shame can arise for people because of what other people have done to them. This is a common theme in people who have been abused or sexually abused. Um, they wrestle with those feelings of, well, maybe somehow I caused that. Maybe it was my fault. Sometimes they're told that, right? You know, some of you have that experience. This was your fault. You made me do this. It's all nonsense. Um, there's a story of a, a woman named Tamar. Uh, she was sexually assaulted by her brother in Scripture, who then kicked her out and said, I don't want anything to do with you. 
It tells a story of how she walked away mourning that she was cloaked in shame. She laid her head on her hand, or her hand on her head, and went away crying aloud as she went. So this is not a new thing. This isn't something we're just dealing with in today's world. This is something that, that has happened to people throughout the course of time. Sometimes shame can arise from a past sin that continues to haunt us, as I said. Um, for those of us who take refuge in Christ, the truth is that even our most grand mistakes, the greatest shame that we could carry if we will seek the refuge of God, he promises that he will take our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. And it's possible, look, I'm not saying that realizing these things or trying to pursue these, these, this sense of God's forgiveness is, is always easy because we live in a world where sometimes other people will continue to remember our sins, right? Sometimes we live with people who will continue to throw our sins in our own faces. Um, you may have done something or you may do something that causes you to, to be found guilty in a court of law, and that, that doesn't just go away, right? And so it's a difficult thing to wrestle with. But the place that we have to get to, the refuge we have to find is similar to what King David wrote about in Psalm chapter 51 after he's uh, been with Bathsheba. She's uh, had a child that, that dies out of that adulterous affair, and he's even, uh, David has planned and, and been successful in sending her husband out to the front lines of battle so that he'll be killed in battle to try and hide his sin and to cover his shame. So even the one that, that God says of him, he's, he's, he's a man after my own heart, he says of David. This guy who has these huge failings, these huge uh, moral uh, issues, deals with shame. And he writes about it. And I think that's the model that we could pursue today if this is something you're dealing with, with past things in your life. Things that you've done, decisions that you've made, mistakes you've made, people that you've hurt. We, we all have some of those things. And he said this in Psalm chapter 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The qualities that we see here is, is David's repentance. He says, he says, cleanse me. Help me. Create in me a clean heart. It's interesting, the, the words that he chooses there, um, not necessarily clean my heart, give me a new heart. Uh, there's a passage, I think it's uh, Jeremiah, maybe, where it talks about that God will take out a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. So he asks for that. He says, give me a new heart. Renew a spirit within me that wants to do what is right. Don't push me away from your presence. 
Don't remove the presence of your Holy Spirit from me. Bring back to me the joy that I felt, the joy that I knew of your salvation before I found myself in this terrible place. And then, Lord, lift me up. Lift me up with a a powerful spirit, a willing spirit to do what is right. I think if you if you can take this these few verses as a as kind of a a, a template uh, a way uh, a f- a figure to look at to, well, how do I get out of that place in my own head how do I deal with my sin how do I deal with the shame that comes and and revisits me I think this is, a, this is a healthy way to do that. This is a biblical way to do that. See, what the world has offered us is, let's just pretend like there's nothing to be ashamed of. Let's pretend like there's nothing to be guilty of and everything's okay. Whereas this tells us, you know what? There are times that we mess it up. There are times that we do things and make choices and say things and think things that are completely outside the bounds of what God would have for us. And they hurt us and they hurt him and he offers us a way to return through repentance. He offers us that forgiveness. Last passage is uh, Psalm chapter 103. I mentioned it earlier. Psalm 103, 10 through 12. We should be thankful for this. He does not always deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I'm grateful that God doesn't always visit upon me what I deserve. He's gracious to me and to you. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Transgressions, that's a big word. Another another word might be sin, mistakes, our disobedience. But I give, you, uh, I give you this caution with these words of, of courage and encouragement and faith and hope. Because uh, in 1 John, it also tells us, 1 John tells us in, in a number of places, if anyone says that they're without sin, they're a liar. So let's, let's settle that, all right? Everybody's got the same problem. But it also says that the apprentice, the follower of Christ, the believer, is a person who doesn't practice sin. And so these kinds of verses, you know, as far as the east is from the west, God has cast our sins. Uh, people have accused those of us who, who, who trust in these words and trust in the sufficiency of the grace of Christ of saying, well, you just have a license to sin. You can do anything you want because God forgives you. That is also not a biblical model. That is not biblically true. In fact, I think it's uh, in, uh, 
Hebrews, the writer asks, should we sin more? Oh, no, it's in, it's in Romans. Should we sin more so that grace will abound? Should we, should we commit bigger sins because that makes grace look even better, right? And he says, no, that's, that's folly, that's foolishness. You should be pursuing a life of righteousness. And so God casts, he says, here are sins as far as the east is from the west. Hey, I did that right. The east is from the west. It's totally by accident. That's how far I'm going to throw your sins. It's an infinite line, right? How far does that go out into the universe and, and wherever else is beyond that? But he still calls us to be holy. He still calls us, calls us to strive to be people who look like citizens of the kingdom of heaven, who talk like and act like and love others like citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so I think sometimes the reason that we end up with this burden of shame, if we, can be, if we can use that positive example of David creating me a clean heart, if we understand this idea that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, and we also understand that uh, Christians, those who are followers of Christ, are not people who practice sin, they're people who accident sin. We fall into it. it, it tangles us, it ensnares us, it traps us, and then we want to get away from it. If you are finding in yourself that you're a person who doesn't want to get away from the sins that are causing you shame, I would really seriously caution you about whether you are a follower or apprentice of Jesus Christ. Be sure. You don't want to gamble with your eternal fate by pretending to be a Christian when you're really not. It's a heavy word of caution, but I think it's, I think it's valuable. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean you don't sin. It means you're not a person who, who is, in, is in the common practice of pursuing sin. And I would go far, so far to say that as a believer, as an apprentice, my natural reaction to when I find myself either towards sin or in sin is that I'm internally, I'm disgusted because that's not who I want to be. And I want to run back to God and say, forgive me. Give me a new heart. Take this and pitch it as far as you can. And I'm going to let it go and keep living. So we got one final thing, a video today, another song. I'm not going to sing this week. Um, it's a video by uh, Casting Crowns that focuses on this theme of how God treats our sin and how sometimes we struggle with that. I just want you to spend a few moments, meditate, think, pray, communicate with the Lord. Maybe this is a struggle for you, this, uh, this idea of accepting his, his forgiveness and that you struggle with the shame and the guilt. And he's calling you to something new as a believer to trust him to forgive you and then move on to new good things. Don't get trapped in the sin. Move on and see what happens. Let's run that video. Here I am, Lord, and I'm drowning in your sea of forgetfulness. The chains of yesterday surround me. I yearn for peace and rest I 
don't want to end up where you found me and it echoes in my mind keeps me awake tonight I know you've cast my sin as far as the east is from the west and I stand before you now as though I've never sinned but today I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you Can you show me just how far the east is from the west? Cause I can't bear to see the man I've been rising up in me again in the arms of your mercy I find rest Cause you know just how far the east is from the west From one scarred hand to the other Can you show me just how far? 